This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm. Craziness. Craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level, and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency On Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to another episode of Efficiency On Demand. Today, and I just realized that I forgot to practice for the very first time the name of my guest. So that's going to be really interesting. (laughs) I usually practice names and it's going to be funny, but I'm just going to do it. And let's just hope cross fingers that I pronounce it correctly. So I have a wonderful guest on my show today. And we're going to talk about a very interesting topic as I find, and especially for the women out there and the ones who are a little bit conflicted with society's norms and their purpose in life. So let's welcome Francesca Cosman to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. You, it's pronounced Francesca, but it's oh, totally okay. That sounds more <laughs> German than I thought. Yeah, it's, it's a German name. Yay! It's a little bit differently written, which is why I was like, eh, how am I going to pronounce the C? Okay, well, Francisca. Cool. Well, thanks for having time for us today. I know it's pretty early for you. So we already interrupted your morning routine. <laughs> it's an honor and pleasure, really. Thank you. Thank you. I love your background. For everyone who can't see that, it's a really beautifully decorated wall with all of these rainbow colors. And I love rainbow colors. I have a rainbow crystal hanging right here on my necklace. So beautiful. It's beautiful. (laughs) So yeah, let's jump right into the topic. Actually, we just chatted a little bit up front and you're an artist, you're a singer, but you had your challenges growing up that you were actually not allowed to sing. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So It's super paradox-like, my upbringing. I am Jewish Orthodox, and traditionally speaking, men are not supposed to listen to the voice of a woman, and there have been many years of interpretation and different traditions. But classically speaking, women singers is not a thing. Uh, When you go to a Jewish wedding or Jewish bar mitzvah, You have all male bands and you have male singers and boy choirs. The way for women to express themselves was really women for women only. So girls schools, which is really convenient because a lot of the schools and camps are already segregated. So there are definitely platforms. But if you think about an industry, where do people hire musicians? You know, when they're planning a party or a wedding and that's somewhere they Uh, women don't have a platform. So the women, when they do get gigs, it's generally speaking much lower paying because 
you're getting a nonprofit organization to hire you. So that's just the general background. You know, with technology coming in and Jewish law is very progressive in a way that everything's up to interpretation. And there are rabbis, and I rely on that interpretation, that recorded voices are not considered live voices. Hmm. Anything I do that's studio that I release online, I just label it as a woman's voice, and then people could do what they want. And also a technicality on the restriction. The restriction is on the man, not on the woman. So I'm allowed to sing. It's just I can't be standing, you know, if I would be standing in a place with men and women, Jewish men and women, I'd be making Jewish men sin, you know, according to this loss. But if I put it out online and it's intended for, you know, whoever... I know I'm going very technical here, but if a man c- goes by, you know, a recorded voice is not a true woman's voice and they're listening to me sing, that's not an issue, according to some. So here are a bunch of loopholes there. I take them all. I am educating women about it and men. And that's me. I love that. I love that because I personally come from a background where I was able to choose whether or not I want to be included in a religion. And for us, or for me in Germany, that was evangelic Christianity. I grew up being religious, and then I turned 18, and I found out a lot of the shadow that was going on there in the German, Christian, and Catholic communities. And I was like, yeah, no, I think I'm good with that. So, uh, And uh, that was very interesting because my dad is not... A Christian my mom is and my sister turned a little bit more when she married I think if I have offended her now that's uh well sorry for that Sarah <laughs> but um I think religion can be a really great tool I want to call it a tool for myself because I feel like it can give very great uh methods and ways for you know for guidance But I believe that it shouldn't be so restrictive in many ways, right? And that's my perspective, right? Like everyone else is obviously allowed to have their own opinion. And so it's really interesting for me to hear such a thing that, for example, Orthodox Jewish women are not supposed to sing life in front of men because that would bring sin to men. So how about you, like, what about the talking? Would you be able to speak publicly? Yeah, that's a great question. And you go based on communities. There are communities where where women are not public speakers for the men audiences, but it is completely okay. They classify it as it's not appropriate or the women are not comfortable anyway. So it's more like um, ingrained in tradition and then there are many, many communities and uh, sects of Judaism where women are definitely public speaking. Right. Mixed audiences. Yeah. Yeah. So now, and I like that we talk a little bit about the technicalities just to set up the, the tone for this podcast, I think. So how is it if you would go out and you would have, let's just say you would have a gig of life singing or speaking or both or whatever, You don't know if they're Jewish men or not. So there are women who definitely do that. And they also can may even have the justification, you know, if there are men sitting there, 
and they don't know about this law, this Jewish law, then for all they know, them singing might bring them closer to religion. So they might be sitting and watching someone else sing. So I've definitely heard that side of an interpretation, but I've grew up with the type of men who, if a woman gets up and starts singing, they'll get up and walk out of the room because that's not something they should be listening to. And we're talking about a party where people are going to the bathrooms. We're not, I I don't think they would go to a concert knowing and then walk out. I think that's (laughs) a little, yeah, (laughs) stupid. It's really interesting. So tell me about like your childhood. You may find out right now, oh, I really love singing. I'm really good at it too. And you really want to do that. And suddenly your parents or maybe your siblings, if you have any, and your church are saying, or your rabbi are saying, um, well, Francisca, that's really nice of you that you want to sing, but uh, keep that to yourself. How did like how did you? Yeah, so it's a great question, and I really credit my parents here a lot. So, just a little background here, some family history. My parents moved to Russia to the former Soviet Union in 1989. Basically, the first chance they were able to go. Because what happened was religion was not allowed over communism. And then once the borders opened, anyone who had any Jewish affiliation, they left. So suddenly there was this vacuum and emptiness. So my parents were recruited as a rabbi, which is a religious leader name. And they moved there to create a community and start outreach and start to educate all the unaffiliated Jews. So I was raised in a very open-minded home because we had to teach about Judaism in the most beautiful way, in the most attractive way. (laughs) And we had this children's choir. The reason I discovered singing in the first place was because, well, Russia is very, very cultured and there, and it makes sense because if, you know, business and capitalism wasn't (laughs) encouraged, then everyone really expressed themselves through the arts and they are so developed there. And Education for the arts is so available and so inexpensive and on such a high level. So I have six siblings. All of us were just spread out into all lessons and extracurricular activities. And we had a children's choir in our school and we performed around the world. And I was involved in drama and dancing and I experienced tap and ballet and just everything under the sun. And I always knew that when I would become 12, which is the woman's you know, for the women, it's their maturity age. For men, it's 13. That's when the laws kick in. You know, children don't have to fast on fast days and children don't have to, they're they're not adhered to adult level of commitment to observing. So I knew when I would turn 12, that's when the restriction on singing begins. And And then my parents always tried to create an environment for me where they encouraged me to record my music and they encouraged me to perform when it was women only events. So it was very loving and encouraging. And with my podcast journey, I have interviewed so many women who did not have that kind of support system and and encouragement around them. So I was definitely fortunate and I feel a responsibility to share the beauties or the beauty and the advantages and all the opportunities that do lie for women who are in the arts, even though there's so many challenges. Yeah. 
That sounds really, really beautiful. And just to make sure I understand it correctly, where from did you move to the Soviet Union? Okay, so I was born when my parents were already living there. So I grew up fully in Moscow. Yeah. Um, my mother is from the States and my uh -huh. father is from Switzerland. Okay, and yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's just important for people kind of like to understand how this all comes together in It's very beautiful because I recently had a guest who is Jewish and he grew up in the Soviet Union too. And we had this whole conversation because I'm East German. So I was born in East Germany and uh, we had this whole conversation about like the political history and a little bit of what was going on and what is going on right now in the US about how people mistake communism and socialism with What else is going on right now? Let's not bring this in here. But anyways, it was a very interesting conversation and it was really nice because we both had a very open conversation, beautiful, because I don't have any, you know, I don't have any negative connotations with the Soviet Union or Russia or anything. And I think I was also too young, but my parents obviously had a very different experience because they were forced into, well... Life behind a wall, literally. So I love that arts have such a high stand in Russia and in, in ex-Soviet Union as well. And because I feel like, and I, I experienced something similar, I think, in East Germany, where it was really like you had all of these offers for when you were a child, like go to ballet, go these, go that, and it was relatively affordable, um, I want to say. And it was just so beautiful, you know, like that's how you create a community, how you would meet your friends. And I don't see much of it anymore now in the Western world, I want to say. I don't know if you have the same experience. You're back in the US now. What was the difference for you when you moved uh, first to the US in how you experienced this art and this expressing yourself? So it's a very interesting question. I feel like there's so many questions in that question. So I'm just going to address one of them. And I experienced that transition most when I moved here and I was recruited to teach when I was teaching students here. And then just working one-on-one -on -one and seeing the different just attitude toward mm -hmm. their art form. And that's why I stopped teaching. It was too frustrating for me. But in Moscow, <laughs> I found other things to do. In Moscow, in general, also generally, and, and I'm sure in the States, it's different within the Jewish communities versus, you know, if you go to Boston or some other cities where art or developing anything on a very professional level is highly important. Mm -hmm. But the general thing was in Moscow, you, you take something on, you put your all into it. That becomes you. It's your identity. It also, there is a value, I guess it's a Russian value. It doesn't matter what you think or who you are. It matters for you to execute perfectly, to copy perfectly. When I went to college in America, I remember learning about very major, just basic concepts like plagiarism or was very new to me because in Moscow, we were expected to copy. We were expected to You know, your opinion doesn't matter. Who, who do you think you are? You have to copy everyone else's materials and opinions. Your opinion doesn't matter. Maybe now it's different, you know, 10, 15 years later. But in the States, you 12-year-old you 
your opinion matters. <laughs> Write what you think. And with that kind of value comes also a creative endorsement or encouragement to think for yourself and to create for yourself. So in Moscow, where the discipline is highly focused on copying, execution, reaching that perfect uh, performance. Here in America, it was more, this is your creative expression and this is your outlet. This is where you let go. This is where you feel who you are. And that comes with your child not being so serious about practicing because to get good at an instrument, you have to practice and not just play when you feel like it. And so you feel special that you could play an instrument. So that there are goods and bads <laughs> sides to each to each of these things, I think. I totally relate to that. When I grew up, I started dancing ballet when I was three and a half years old. And since we like this was still in East Germany and we had we were basically our government was a Russian government. Right. And ballet was one of those things, obviously, that was very Russian influenced. I also remember I had a teacher, a ballet teacher from the Ukraine, and I loved him. But I loved him because he would be so, uh, <laughs> how am I going to call it without it sounding abused? Because it wasn't abusive, but for us, he very would be strict and disciplined. Yes, but also fun. But it was just like, he wouldn't just let us get away when we said like, oh, this hurt. Or like, he would just make us do it 10 times more until it didn't hurt anymore. But we would be able to do it, you know, stretch a little further. <laughs> do this like five more times, whatever. But the amount of progress I made in all of these years because of him, I would probably, like, it, it's where I learned all of my attitude and also my, all of the skills in regards to focus discipline just work ethics and attitude like because of two of my dance teachers there one was German and one was Ukrainian and I just love them both and it's very interesting because <laughs> when I then went to live in different countries I would join other dance schools and wanted to you know restart ballet in my adult years and I just couldn't it would frustrate the heck out of me because no one took it serious they all stand in the corner and chat and chit chat and what's your boyfriend doing well I don't give a fuck to be honest what your boyfriend is doing because really I'm here to dance ballet <laughs> can we just do that and no one was serious enough so I can totally relate and now I'm not dancing because um no one's serious about it <laughs> as we have been in East Germany <laughs> Yes, exactly yeah. it. So that is really interesting. So I want to take a little break for us so we can take a little breath and also for our listeners to hear a little bit about, yeah, about actually what we have to offer here on the podcast as well. But then afterwards, I want to hear how you did start your podcast and how you got into this whole journey of podcasting, recording, and what it has done for you. You're listening to Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique. We'll be right back after these messages. But in the meantime, find more resources at EfficiencyOnDemand.com. Hey, everyone. This is your host, Monique. If you want to learn more about time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency, then you can now order my new book, 
the time method and a bullshit guide to creating an abundance of time. Just go to www.thetimemethod.com or you can click the link in the show notes below. And please, I would love for you if you can share, rate and review this podcast so many other people can find and benefit from it too. Thanks for tuning in. I really love to have you here. You're listening to Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique. All right, we are back with Francisca and uh, we're going to talk about now how you, I like what you just said with the bow, how you wrapped and tied up your singing into a bow of podcasting. Does that make sense? <laughs> Totally. Use my words against me. <laughs> for you. For you. For me. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So tell me about how you got into podcasting and why you why you decided to choose that as a platform for your for your singing and your art. Yeah. So well, I was very fortunate. Again, somebody gave me the idea and I didn't even know what a podcast was back. It was almost three years ago. And I was at a point where I probably invested thousands of dollars into some music videos and they got a lot of traction and I got a lot of attention, but there's that emptiness and anyone who's in the arts and has any big release, you know, whether it's a film or a concert at the end, there's this vacuum, there's this void. It's like, and what now, what now, <laughs> now I have to, you know, create the next amazing music video and spend so much more money? Am I ever going to see my money back? Am I ever going to get invited to perform? You know, likes and views and comments, that's all I'm chasing here. It feels so empty. It feels so, it feels so bad. It just felt so bad. I was in a really, really bad place. And a mentor of mine suggested, you know, why not do podcasting? Why not start a podcast? So it took me a few months and I love saying it took me a few months because now I help people do it in one day. And I'm like so jealous of them because it took me months <laughs> and we, and I just started out. And if I listen back to my first episodes, I just sound so down and I sound like I don't know what I want in my life and I'm so disappointed And I don't know what to do next. And, you know, everything I've been chasing just fell so flat and felt so unfulfilling. And I started, you know, inviting women onto my onto my show who are sort of in the same boat as me. And I started asking them questions. What what did you do? What are you striving for? What have your challenges been? How have you been dealing with your challenges? I've had a huge spectrum on my podcast of women who did something once and then they decided they're not comfortable with it or they grew up doing it one way and then they chose to do something else another way. Then you had women who grew up not Jewish or unaffiliated and then they chose that lifestyle and talking to them, how was it, what was it like rejecting Broadway or rejecting Hollywood? That So having all these conversations and bringing it all into one place and giving women a platform, a place where they can really have a voice besides for singing And it's also something I was able to do that was technically available for men because a lot of my, my work is not. So that became a very healing journey for me. It was search and discovery. 
It was bringing and really building an audience. You know, the women and the people listening to my podcast suddenly started listening to my music and buying my music and being interested in other services I offer. So it had that chain reaction. It did not turn me into a six-figure entrepreneur, my podcast. I'll just be open right there. But it started me on the journey, and I did start working with a coach about a year ago and figuring out how I can offer services that would be very valuable to my listeners and then sharing about that at the end. So that has been my journey, and it was probably one of the most powerful things that I've experienced in my life because it gave me a tool, a channel to just make it all okay, everything else that was one big mess, because it's not like I was in school with a 100 other people doing what I was doing. I was all by myself figuring it out on my own. And I was able to use the the podcast as a platform to bring women together and create a database and build a market for what we're doing and all that beautiful stuff. That is really, really amazing. I love how platforms like podcasting is just allowing us to bring like people together and I just explained to you in our break like how I have this name of the podcast efficiency on demand but it's not really about efficiency other than really our last two questions and sometimes you can hear actually how people are learning just as you said along the way and then became more efficient in what they're doing so it's kind of like this journey that really is our destination I feel like after all and so I think it's just a beautiful way and it's really interesting because when I started this podcast second one I created a name and everything so it was aligned to my brand and what I do and immediately I was like yeah but I'm not gonna talk about all of this productivity stuff all the time because I do everywhere else you know so I just want to talk to people and as you said you know talk about their challenges who they are and just bring out their truth and their shine a little bit more and help them just like to yeah to just shine and I think that's um That's really interesting. I don't know if the listeners sometime come and listen and be like, wait, I thought I'm going to hear something about efficiency. And then they're hearing all this other beautiful stuff. And I love that. I love to confuse people sometimes. So if you're hearing that and you have been confused today, then I'm not sorry for it because you get way more out of it than productivity. Well, if you allow me to just chime in here, I'd love to say how... I just recently listened to a podcast on Freakonomics where they interviewed the author and CEO of Netflix who wrote a book, uh, No Rules Rules. And he was saying how because they don't have any rules, and if you think about efficiency, and especially any former Soviet Union person understands because everything is all about efficiency. If there were no rules about efficiency, everyone could literally work whenever they want, however they want, do whatever they want. They could buy million dollar films and contracts without any supervision. And they are the leading company today. You know, one of the most leading companies and they're the top in their industry, which is crazy. But if you think about efficiency in the 21st century, this is exactly it. Going deep, having a journey, really creating space for true innovation and creativity, that's efficiency. So that's exactly what you're doing. Amen. And it's so interesting. Thank you. I love that so much because I just wrote this book about my framework. And a lot of people ask me like, why don't you just write about time management? I'm like, because literally time management is 
not at all what you need right now in your life. You need everything else but time management. All you need is to get rid of toxic people. You need to speak your truth. You need to find what is really sparking your life up and you get rid of all of the bullshit outside of it. And then you will see you have enough time. You don't even know what to do with it. And it's so interesting. Yeah, I love what you just said. So why do you think now that you've gone through all of this journey, would a podcast be beneficial to entrepreneurs or business owners? It's a great question. It's an amazing tool if used right. The way I see people using it the wrong way is let's create a ton of content. Let's just make this happen because it's another task on our to-do list that has to happen and they're all stressed about it and there's no room for creativity or enjoying the process. And then, okay, maybe it's a great podcast. Maybe not. The way I see it is a real tool because, you know, if, if you're a business and you're using Facebook ads or Instagram ads, you have three seconds to grab people's attention on a podcast Yes, you have to work really hard to get them to listen to that podcast. But once they're listening, you have an hour in their ears and they're not listening. Oh, what are they doing here? What are they trying to sell me? It's more like I'm doing what I'm doing. I have them with me in the kitchen or I'm folding my laundry and I'm listening to them. I'm in my bathroom, maybe, or I'm on my commute. And there's this very open mind, there's this openness to when they're listening to the content that creates real trust with the host or with the guests. And it's a space where so much more can happen. And there's so much more potential than than business owners have in any other form or tools they use for advertising and connecting with their audience. It's even more than email newsletters, if anyone's very into their email newsletters. So it's such a unique tool that I think entrepreneurs really need to figure out a way that they can put it into their life. Maybe they need a whole team to manage it so they don't have to focus on the hours it takes to, you know, put into production like this. But the point is to really enjoy it and maybe not put 12 episodes out it as a journey. So each episode can improve from the next one. And, and there's just, you feel you feel there's a life to it and that the host is alive and there's something happening. And because that energy, you can't, you can't make it up. You can't outsource it. That, that's how the audience really connects with you as a brand, with you as a service provider. Yeah, yeah 100%. I love that. And I also, like, I personally love podcasting simply because of all of these conversations and getting to know people on a deeper level and um, I personally am a I want to say I'm a hater of small talk <laughs> I think I can just put it out there I don't hate a lot of things but I think small talk is definitely in that area so I had I was guest on podcasts where you get these typical questions asked and then you know and when you get off, you just feel like you didn't you didn't even have the chance to bring either value or just to to show something off you because it was just like this checklist of like, how's the weather today? And I'm like, nah. <laughs> check Google, 
It's right there. You don't have to ask me. So this is really interesting. And you just said something that made me wonder. Um, you said it's pretty hard to get people to listen to you for an hour. But once they do, they stick around. So what do you do or what do you tell your clients to do for people to listen to them? So anything outside of the podcast, is that what you're saying? Once you have the podcast, what do you do? Yeah. So, and I noticed you do some of this stuff already. Catchy titles, something that's, and I, I did it wrong for a long time, just with titles. If we just talk about titles, I would just put the name of my guest on the show and say, mm-hmm. so-and-so on my show. And it took me five seconds. I didn't have to activate any thinking. You know, I went back into my Russian old self. And, and but nobody knew who these women were. Nobody, you know, a few people knew them, but it's not enough to get someone to click. Now, about, I don't know, six months ago, I started changing them as how do you be, how can you be more uninhibited on stage with so-and-so or the women behind the hits we all know because the men are singing them. That's interesting. Let me click on them. And having catchy titles that people are like, wow, I'm so interested, even though I don't even know who's on the show because the topic interests me is key to getting people just to like not scroll through. That's number one, I would say. Number two, repurposing your content. For example, you might not have people, and I know people do that with the Joe Rogan show, which is the top show. You might not have three hours to go listen to an episode, but they'll they'll have like five minute snippets or one minute snippet on YouTube or on Facebook. And you get to feel like you watched the show or listen to the show and you got some value and you connected to it. So you're providing shorter snippets of, of key information or key experiences you think they would appreciate and get value. And that can definitely draw them in to want to hear more. Mm-hmm. That's another one. Let me think of one more thing that people can do too. Well, having great guests, that's, that's definitely you know, if you want to find someone who wrote, yes, it helps a lot. Um, and it, it doesn't hurt to dream big. Reach out to a number of people. Maybe someone will say yes. It definitely helps to put your podcast on people's radars. One other thing I did, which I love, I started a new series on my podcast. I purposefully did not start a second podcast. I just added it on. And I did that to bring in a whole new demographic into my podcast. And some people just come to listen to that series. And the series is called No More Silence. And once a month, I interview a survivor of abuse. And mm. we talk about sexual abuse or domestic violence or all kinds of other horrible things that happen to people. And again, we're bringing awareness to topics that aren't talked about. We're bringing a voice to people who don't have a platform to talk about it because Either it's not okay truly, or it, we don't talk about it because it's a taboo subject. It could ruin people's reputations. It's not something you want, you know, representing you. So it moves, it goes along with my theme and my work and my mission in life, my activism work, as I call it. But it's completely different topics and it draws different types of people to my podcast. I love that. My first podcast was a podcast about power woman and how we women go through challenges that a lot of people just don't know about and there is a lot of those kind of things that I experienced myself so 
I I want to say that I'm a good person to talk with about these things. And I had people, wow, I mean, I had a person who was adopted and then slaved by her adoptive parents. I had a woman with agoraphobia and not leaving her room for literally two years, not leaving the room once. I had, yeah, a lot of interesting stories and yeah, it was very powerful. That was my first podcast that I did. And it was like, I think 15 episodes. And that's again, one of these things like going deep into stories and just bringing out the power and the the shine of people that is really, yeah, that is really so interesting. And I love what you said. I'm doing all of these things. So I'm just like, celebrating a little bit actually it's not me it's my team so I want to I don't want to take the credit it's my team who's doing all of the things for the podcast and I wonder what would you recommend for for the guests for example because I know a lot of people like you and me we're guesting on podcasts and other people's podcasts as well and then you always get all of those emails you may not even read them anymore or you you have people who want to come on your podcast and then you're not sure, are they a great fit? Are they a good, uh, would they actually be bring value to my podcast? So what do you do to first, so the first part of the question to look into whom do you want to have on your podcast and how do you encourage them to share your podcast and also invite their audience to listen? Because that's been something where I do a lot of things or my team does a lot of things to prepare these one minute snippets, graphics, and all of these amazing things. And we upload them into Google Trifold and whatever. Every guest gets an array of things to share and an email with all of the links. And like, literally, I want to say it's a beautiful email. If I can just say that it's not just a text email. <laughs> so as soon the that goes all live, you have like, as a guest on my podcast, you get like all of these things, but then barely someone shares it. And it's sometimes a little bit frustrating as a podcast host, to be honest, because, well, you want your guests to be proud of being a guest as well and then share it along, right? So what would you say would be a good way to encourage them to do that? Yeah, and let me just validate you. I have the same issue. It's a real thing. It's not, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I think this is the default. People come on, you know, the episode might come out a few weeks later. They forgot about it. They don't remember what they talked about it. They moved on to the next thing and they don't want to have to do anything. And, you know, looking at from their side, the the excitement died down. And I guess it could be understood. I don't like it, but I'm just trying to bring their version of it on the side of that you're sitting on is I invested all this time, all this work. I said no to other people so I could have you. I'm paying a team to create all this content and you can't even bother sharing it on your social media. Who the heck do you think you are? You know, if you're Kim Kardashian, I understand, but if you're anybody, but (laughs) go and start posting everything and do it every day until every person, you know, is listening to my podcast now because that's the exchange that happens between a host and a guest. Right. You're exchanging audiences, you're bringing together 
your audience might come and become clients or listeners of their podcast and vice versa. Their audience might come and start listening to your show and buying from you. So I think explaining that in a very nice way is, is a beautiful way to implement. Now the question is how to do it in a nice way and how to do it that it works effectively. Let me ask you this. Do you ask your guests to show as part of, you know, the agreement of coming on to your episode? onto your podcast? So when they fill out the form, I ask them if they're willing to share the podcast and then it's just like a yes or no. And if they say no, well, they still have a chance, but most likely not to be honest. Also because I think I shared it with you in the beginning, I get like 10,000 views a month on the website and we haven't even done a lot of advertising yet. So this is like open. And if you are thinking you can just come on and then do nothing, you're missing out on 10,000 people plus your own people looking at the show notes and getting your links there as well. Because I link to your social, but I also link to your offers and whatever. So why wouldn't you want to share that? It, it just doesn't go in my mind, to be honest, right? Because it's also a great... It's a great opportunity for you to show your own audience your value and reiterate basically what you have to offer. So, yeah, so to answer your question, yes, I do. And the email that we sent out shows basically three different things like, oh, what we usually do when we're guests is we share it on social media. So here is your social media link. You can choose all of these things. Choose your favorite platform and share it at one. You could share it in a blog post or you could share it on email or whatever, you know? So all of these things. Yeah. You'll see it soon. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say I haven't been on the receiving end of this email yet. And I'm really excited for it because I'm usually the one doing all this stuff. So it'd be nice (laughs) to have some content I didn't create myself to have to post. On the other hand is... I know it sounds terrible, but people are, I won't say stupid, but people are stupid. We're in the, we're living in the world of like scrolling. We're waiting for people to tell us what to do, to take an action, to click on something. So let's just talk to them in the language they understand and the language they understand in the short attention span of anyone, any successful entrepreneur today, either we say, this is a friendly reminder that you agreed to share uh, about this episode on your social media platforms. We kindly prepared content for you so you don't have to do anything but click share. And we'd like to remind you of all the incredible value you will receive by sharing. You will be able to showcase all the amazing things you're doing and you will be reaching new people because of You know, you could say, you know, this is different type of content. Your audience is used to seeing you. This is someone else packaging it for you. This is someone else. So you're bringing in fresh energy into your content and it's already done for you. So this is a friendly reminder to use this opportunity to talk about yourself, share about yourself. You know, people pay money today for people to create content for them. And we just did this for you for free. And just reminding them, asking them and what are you reminding them that they agree to do this? Reminding them that this is good for them and that this is valuable for them. So it's just just activating the call to action instead of saying, thanks for being on my show. 
I hope you understand by this email that you need to go <laughs> share this. Yeah. We need to assume that people are stupid because they're going to read it. And if you're not asking them to do anything directly, they're not. And I know I keep repeating myself, but I think I made myself clear. That's good. That's good. No. And I really love that because um, I think I have deviated a little bit from my typical. Now, here's the three things you need to do. Number one, number two, number three, because people, people sometimes say like, oh, this sounds so harsh or demanding or whatever and I'm like no just as you said people just need to be told what to do so they're doing it you know yeah so I'll change the email (laughs) you can also add in these are three things you can do to get the most out of this episode yes just do because you agreed to do them and another thing I'll add you didn't ask about this but I always ask my guests to write a review on my show. A lot of my audience members may not do that, but guests sometimes feel like a little obligated. So that's a great way to get reviews from your guests. Mm. And I'll just share. <laughs> yeah, what do you think about that? This was in my prep email. I sent oh, this that was email. in your prep email. Yeah, I and I say like, how about you leave it? Because I'm asking them to leave a review before the show. Because... We would love them. And maybe I need to send out this email earlier than an hour before. But I feel like it could get lost. But maybe if I send it a day before, people actually would go and leave a review. But if you haven't been on the show yet, you just listen to an episode, maybe half of it to prepare yourself. Then you leave a review and a rating and then you come on the show. It's much less biased, I think, than if you come on the show and be like, hey, I was a guest and here's my rating. So... That was my thinking. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And I've actually been asked to leave a review before they even considered me on a show. And for me, I use mm-hmm. an Android. So I need to go borrow my husband's phone to leave a review because I can't even do it through my computer. Yeah. So it's so annoying for me. Yeah. Which is why. Yes. <laughs> I'm but. like, if you ask me already to do all of these things before you even consider me as a guest, then this is just a conditional thing like I'm not willing to do. And like, I'm not asking everyone to leave a rating or review to be on my show. That's not what I'm doing. I say like, would you want to? Then please feel free. If not, that's cool, you know? Yeah, I'm not I'm not such a conditional person to be honest. Maybe, maybe I should try that. But um, I, I wasn't suggesting that. I was no. just saying that I've, been I've seen that I've, I've seen yeah that. <laughs> me too and I I had a I had a time booked already and I canceled it again and I said like I'm sorry I don't have time for that <laughs> it's um no anyways we're getting slowly to the end but I want to ask one more question about the whole podcast thing why do you think maybe let's look at the other perspective why do you think people should be listening to podcasts that's a great question because it's a new platform. It's a new platform. People are used to TV. People are used to the radio. And podcast is just one notch higher. First of all, there's so much content out there, so much niche content. You could literally get a dose of any kind of information you would ever dream of. 
ever. And there's still new episodes, new podcasts being launched every day. So I don't know where this is going, but this is crazy because TV and radio is so censored. You have this huge hierarchy and to get onto it, you already have to be a certain level. And by the time it's airing, it's, it's been done, you know, maybe months ago. How often do you actually see, I mean, besides the news, everything is pre-created for you. This content is, and it's really decided if it's not good, no one's listening to it. So people are very motivated to create good content. And there's an opportunity here to really be niche. You could really focus on anything because if, and I, I know a lot about podcast numbers. I know people think if you have 150 downloads per episode, that's terrible and no one's listening to your show. But if you think about how niche you are, if you're talking about something so niche that if you were speaking in a room with 150 people listening to some weird something that you're so into and they're coming back every week, wow, you have an audience because TV is not is too mainstream to showcase anything that's that focused on something very niche. A niche is something that's, and I'm a triple niche. My episode, my podcast is triple niche. It's for Jews, for women, and for women interested in the arts. So, you know, <laughs> I eliminated half the world here. But the people who are listening to it, I'm changing their lives. I'm changing their opinions. And if you think about if you let go of, you know, thousands of views on your Instagram videos and Facebook videos and you go into, I just filled up a room of 150 people every week and they come and listen to me. Wow. How powerful is that? And I'm not talking to them for three seconds or for one minute. They're listening to me for an entire hour. How powerful is that? So just thinking about that, and we're giving this tool to so many, to anyone, anyone could start this. Anyone could start creating and delivering value. And my husband now, he spends a lot of time driving. He knows history. He knows so much history. He knows so much detail about everything. And I'm like, how do you know that? When did you read all these books? When did you study history in college? He's like, no, I'm just listening to history podcasts. And I just know about every president. And I know about this. And, and, and that's how I consume my content. That's where the 21st century entrepreneur or millennial or student is getting their information. I love that. Amen to podcasts. So before I'm going to ask you where people can find you and what they can find there, I want to ask our efficiency on demand signature questions. And they're basically like just really fast, whatever comes to your mind question. So the first, you kind of answered already, but I want to ask you again, what does efficiency mean to you? Efficiency to me means doing the most with the least. So it's Yay. trying to accomplish the most you can with the least amount of to-dos. Yes. Amen. And this one is a little bit tricky. So if you would have to push the reset button on your life and business right now, but you keep all of the knowledge, which three things would you keep repeating and doing to get back to success? Well, creating my music studio, I think mm -hmm. that was one of my biggest pivotal moments because I went from spending thousands of dollars to creating my music to being able to do it on my own because I wasn't paying someone to do it for me. So yeah. getting the studio and learning how to do it. So taking a course. Number two, 
podcasting, I would definitely add to it. I think that was a major, a major pivot in my business. It brought opportunity. It brought me an audience. It brought me an offer. And the third thing, my coach. So how did I get my coach? I invited someone as a guest and she became my coach. I'm like, wow, you help musicians make money. I need to hire you. (laughs) And she was instrumental in me being able to figure out what I wanted to do to monetize because that was the most frustrating thing for me. The fact that I was working so hard, I was performing on such a high level and I couldn't figure out how to get paid. Mm. And she helped me with that. That's amazing. I love that. Well, we're at the end. Francisca, please tell everyone where can people find you and what they can find there. So what's the offer you have to share with the world? Sure. So one piece of advice I give people who are guesting on podcasts is to give one call to action because if I give five different ones, you're probably not going to do anything. But if I tell you one thing, you might do that one thing. So if you are someone who's thinking about starting a podcast or you think this is something you should be doing, you can go to my website, which is franciscacosman.com slash book, or it will take you from my homepage to book to book a call with me. And if you're not really ready, there'll be a questionnaire and I'll be able to tell if you're ready or not. So it's not like I'm going to be getting on 100 or 500 calls with people, but this is a way to connect with me and seriously start working on getting your podcast out there, sharing your message and connecting with your audience on a whole new level. And don't forget, she can launch it in a day for you. I can launch it in a day for you. I think we didn't mention this on air, but as my like hobby thing that I started doing, any artists out there or creative people who want to monetize or create a business model, I work with creatives as well to start monetizing what they're doing, which is basically where I was. And I help others do that. So that's just another thing to keep in mind that that's a service I offer. Well, definitely check out the website, franciscacosman.com. It's definitely in the links down below. So you do not have to remember that. You don't need to know if Francisca is spelled with a C or with a Z. It's definitely with a C. So just to take that away. And <laughs> and all the other links will be down below in the show notes. So while you're there, don't forget to rate and review the podcast because that helps spread it out. Francisca, thank you so, so much for taking the time today being here, sharing all of your story, but also the value. And I hope we're going to see each other around very soon again. Yes, I'd love that. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you too can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.